Welcome to Unity of Tucson. Stepping forward and falling backwards again. How many of you have ever felt like that's the way your life is unfolding? You step forward, and you oh, fall back. You try to get up, okay. Step forward, oh, fall back. Well, the thing is, every movement you make forward is taking you further forward than the backwards move it, movement is taking you in falling back. Just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And then I ask this question. Do you believe in mistakes? Well, I've already answered that question. Do you, but here's the question. Really check in with yourself. Do you believe in mistakes? Oh, okay. All right. I hear an absolutely not, and I hear a yes. So we've got both sides of the spectrum here. Actually, here's the more important question. Do you believe that mistakes are an inevitable part of living your life? So you believe that mistakes are inevitable. They help you grow? Okay. They humble you? Okay. This is going to be a clear, it's an interactive talk today. And I'm good with that. I'm fine with that. It gives me a chance to restart. It gives us a chance to restart. If we find we've made a mistake or what we consider to be a mistake, it is an opportunity for reflection to say, how might I restart? That's, a, that's a one way to look at it. I was going to say it's a great way to look at it. It is, but it's also one way to look at it. There are no mistakes. There are no mistakes. That's a fundamental premise of New Thought teaching. There are no mistakes. Well, what do you mean? I've, mis I've made mistakes in my life. Right? I mean, has anyone, is anyone here free of mistakes entirely in their lives? Would you like to get up and have a moment to speak about how you did that? You say that again? You volunteered to fill the spot. If you're online and you didn't hear, he just said, I made a mistake. <laughs> Never made a mistake in my life, but now. So, okay. In New Thought, we do teach fundamentally there is no such thing as a mistake. That is a fundamental basis from which we decide to live our lives moving forward if this is the, if this is the philosophy that we have adopted to carry us through. There is no such thing as the mistake. There is only the inevitable outcome of decisions that we have made. None of those outcomes are mistakes. None of those outcomes are mistakes. The decisions we make can be remade. But many of us live life with this idea, I have made a decision in my life, it's shown up in a negative or deconstructive way, destructive way, and now I am going to live with that for the rest of my life. No. We are fundamentally a teaching about choice, about decision, about understanding that there is nothing that is permanently expressing without the capacity to be able to change it. Fundamental to our teaching is, the, is this idea. We can change our minds. We can change our belief. We can look at the way our feelings are rooted in our beliefs and our thoughts and how they're flowing forth as the construct and expression of our lives. And if we don't like what we're experiencing, we get to change it. 
So if there's no such thing as a mistake, and you're holding on to past paradigms that you look upon as mistakes, what are you holding on to? Error, past beliefs. What are you holding on to? Do you believe that you can let that stuff go? I was about to say a different word. <laughs> Do you believe that you can let that stuff go? Do you fundamentally believe that you can let go of your past? How many of you are still holding? And this is a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but how many of you can think of something, and perhaps it comes to mind as I ask the question, can think of something that you are holding on to that fundamentally is not constructive in your life? I can still look at things, and I've been doing this a long time. There are things that I can look at and say, wow, that was rooted in there as such a deeply embedded core belief that it is still playing out in the expression of my life, and I get to make a decision at any given time about what to do about it. Fundamental to our teaching is this idea. It is done unto you as you believe. And so while we say there is no such thing as a mistake, if you believe in a mistake, which of course is just a missed take. It is a take on your life that is just missing the mark. That's it. That's all a mistake is. It's a missed take. If you believe in a mistake, then you create the circumstances that are born of that belief and you experience the expression of that belief. We have a tremendous capacity to sabotage our good. We have a tremendous capacity to sabotage our good. That inner saboteur, ooh, ooh, that is something that I struggled with for a long time, that inner saboteur. That inner saboteur can defeat us if we don't purposefully address it. That's the whole reason for new thought philosophies to be here is for us to address that inner life that we have constructed in such a way that our outer life may not be flowing as magnificently as we would like. Here's the thing. By addressing that inner saboteur and being active in that purpose and really doing the work we eliminate the perception that it has any power over us. But many of us walk around our lives thinking, oh, this voice in the back of my head is so powerful, I can't get rid of it. The voice in the back of your head is a clue. It's a clue to what can be done. It's a clue to what can be done. I often tell people in sessions, uh, when I invite people, well, when people come to see me for spiritual coaching or spiritual counseling, uh, one of the things that sometimes will come up is they will say, I'm doing all the work, I'm saying all the affirmations, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm, do I'm expressing, I'm expressing. And I say to them, as you state out loud 
that affirmation, what is the voice in the back of your mind saying? Because that voice is the indicator of the belief 99.9% .9 of the time. Oftentimes the voice in the back of our mind contradicts the words we are saying out loud. And so the work is to address the voice, not just give it lip service. So by addressing that inner saboteur, we eliminate the perception that it has power, and it is only a perception that it has power. There is nothing, nothing, nothing at all in our lives that has any power over us except the mental power that we give to those things. Sometimes, because <laughs> I've done this in my life, sometimes that mental power is heightened by an avoidance of circumstances. How many of you we call this spiritual bypass? <laughs> spiritual bypass. Or my more favorite way of phrasing that, toxic positivity. <laughs> what spiritual bypass or toxic positivity is, is doing that very thing, giving it lip service, saying, all is well. Life is magnificent. Look at how great things are. I am love. I am light. I am life. It's all airy-fairy. And these are the words that I'm saying. But they're not supported with that voice in the back of my head, which is saying, you idiot. Who do you think you are? And you know what's creating in my life? The voice is in the back of my head. Because oftentimes what I see in this toxic positivity frame of mind is that I'm saying all of these things while my life is falling apart around my ears. Do you ever consider Do you ever consider this as a thought? If something happens in your life and you're faced with some thing, be it good, be it bad, perhaps this is a thought that you've had at some point in your life. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. I've found myself saying that. I found myself believing that. No, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. But what if there was something you could do? Now, what's the next sentence? There is always something you can do. There is always something you can do. Here's another one that comes up a lot, and I see this deflection. It's a deflective statement. I see this happening a lot in our society, in our culture. Well, that whole issue, that's somebody else's, that's somebody else's issue to address. That is somebody else's issue to address. Here's the challenge that I have with that. If it is in your awareness, it is in your purview. If you are having the experience, then there is something in it for you to do, to be, to understand, and to address. Are you, are you willing to take that mantle on, becomes the question. Are you willing to do that? I see a lot of things that I could point to in our society, in our culture, in, in, oh, in politics which I'm not going to go into a whole diatribe on politics, but I see things in the realm of politics that I'm like, well, that's somebody else's issue to address. But if I have an awareness of it, it is in my purview to address it. In my own mind, in my own heart, in my own belief system, and as I address it in my own life, then I am contributing to the constructive answer flowing forth. But if we step into that frame of mind, it's somebody else's issue to address, then you know what's going to happen? It's going to continue to proliferate itself in perhaps a destructive way.
a member of our community posted this picture. Can you bring the slide up? We have been too quiet for too long. There comes a time when you have to say something. You have to make a little noise. You have to move your feet. Now is the time. Representative John Lewis. This struck me when a member of our community posted this on social media this week because I thought to myself, am I moving my feet? Am I moving my feet? If this is part of my awareness, this is part of my purview, and it is mine to address now. Am I moving my feet? Now is the time. We have one of those flippant sayings from my path that uh, I was ordained in prior to be, or being ordained in, in unity. Uh, in the religious science path, or the path of the Centers for Spiritual Living, we have, we call prayer on that side of the aisle. It's so funny, it is kind of that side of the aisle. It's like, there's that side of the aisle, and there's unity, and, and I'm where they meet. Um, we call prayer treatment in that part of the world, that side of the aisle. And so we have this kind of flippant thing often that we say is, treat and move your feet. Treat and move your feet. We hear it all over Centers for Spiritual Living. Everywhere you go, treat and move your feet, right? What does that mean? It means you do the prayer work, you do the prayerful work, and then you go into action. But sometimes I think what people do is they do the prayer work, and then they go into action without the action actually being impelled by the prayer work. And so they think, I'm going to now go into action, but it is separate in a belief system from the prayer that you have done. If prayer is empty, it doesn't lead to true activity. And so the work for us, the work that we teach here in this philosophy is that we get to such a prayerful place, we have such a deeply rooted conviction that what we speak, the way we believe, and the feelings wrapped up in that will always lead to an active experience in life. And so we are motivated into action by the prayer. But never have them be just separate. It's easy to sit on the sidelines. It's real easy to sit on the sidelines, right? And, 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 and when you sit on the sidelines, here's, here's why it's easy to sit on the sidelines. It's because we have a perception, a perception of safety by sitting on the sidelines. It's, it's like, oh, well, if that's the activity over there, I can sit and be an observer of the activity and watch it, and I don't need, and I'm in my, I'm in my safe little bubble, I don't need to concern myself with that. But there are times, I believe, when we must concern ourselves and be active in healing rather than sitting on the sidelines. I've had people in this community suggest to me that we take a more active role outwardly in social justice. Specifically, one of the, the things that got brought to me um, was when Bookman's had their drag queen story hour and it was protested by a church. Somebody said, well, maybe we could host that here. And my answer to that was born out of fear, which was, no, 
I'm not going to subject this community to the potential for physical harm. And then I think to myself, as I step back, I think to myself, by staying on the sidelines, I'm living in a perception of safety, and I don't know that that is necessarily what New Thought stands for. So I don't know what the answer is going to be ultimately to that. I do know that they had their event at another church, and I'm grateful that they were able to have that event at another church. They took many precautions to ensure that it was a safe environment. But I step back and I think I feel a little guilty. Partly because that's also my community. That's my community. If you don't know, I'm part of the Alphabet Mafia. <laughs> Those people that we can say are libidiquois. Fundamental to New Thought teachings is this. New Thought was born out of rebellion. New Thought was born out of rebellion. Where are the rebels in our movement? Because I've been convincing myself that I should be a rebellion in this direction, but oh, absolutely not be in rebellion in that direction. The Fillmores, Ernest Holmes, Nona Nona Brooks and Melinda Kramer, they all were rebels. Phineas Parkhurst Quimby was a rebel. Emma Curtis Hopkins was a rebel. They were standing up in a way that was contrary in many ways to what the world would support. They were the next step, I think, of the Protestant movement which is not only can we read scripture, not only can we be actively engaged in our relationship with God, the next step of that is we are that power, we are that presence. That's a very rebellious statement. New thought was the result of those who were not willing to sit on the sidelines. So if we are not in active support of the community, note that unity is a part of the word community. If we are not active in our support of the community, then what's the point of being here? What's the point of being here? It feels good to be here on a Sunday, I think. I love coming here on a Sunday. I love dancing, I love singing, I love celebrating with you. But what is the point if we're not taking it beyond these walls and actively doing something about the ills we see in the world? So I invite you, because it's not going to look the same for all of us, so I invite you into this idea. Consider for a moment somebody that you can look at or a community that you can look at right now in our world that needs advocacy, who may not be able to right now step forth because their inner saboteur is holding them back. Who is someone that you can advocate for? Rhetorical question. I'm not asking you to all tell me. Who are you willing to support? Who are you willing to support? And do you have the capacity to truly support the least among us? In Matthew chapter 25, 25 verse 40, Jesus speaks about the least of us, and he says essentially, if you cannot do this for the least of us, then you are 
you can't do it for me. You cannot support, you cannot support only yourself. We must be in this together. Community is our common unity. The problem with some takes, I think, on the New Thought philosophy is that if we are responsible and we teach personal responsibility, right? We do teach personal responsibility. But the problem with a take on personal responsibility is, well, if I teach responsibility, then I'm only in charge of changing myself. I don't need to concern myself with anybody else. Not everybody has that luxury. That is the statement of... What's the word I want to use? Privilege. It's a statement of privilege. The world is falling apart in many ways. We can look and see that the construct of the world is falling apart. It doesn't feel so good. And it doesn't matter if you're on that side of the aisle or that side of the aisle. I think we can all look and say, something is not working. Something is not working. I said something along these lines to, to a friend of mine many years ago when his personal world was falling apart. I said, when the world is falling apart around you, it is because the container you've built around your magnificence can no longer be contained by the limitations you've put into place. God cannot be contained, so evolution becomes necessary. And so as I see things falling apart around us, what I'm recognizing is that it is the shedding of an old paradigm and an invitation to each and every one of us to evolve, to step into what is next, to step into what is new, to step into the magnificent light that we all claim to be. If a breakdown occurs, if we see others in the midst of a breakdown, what do we do? Are we willing to go out? Are we willing to support the least of these siblings among us? If we look around at the manner in which other human beings are being reduced to the level of the relative, what becomes our responsibility? You may be asking, what do you mean, reducing people to the level of the relative? When I talk about being reduced to the level of the relative, I'm talking about being reduced to the parts not the wholeness. If we focus only on someone's parts and not their wholeness, then we are reducing them in a way that is not supportive of their magnificent expression. I hold firm in my own faith. This is my belief that we are God. New Thought teaches the unified wholeness of everything being God, and we are not separate from that. And in my understanding, to be able to step forth and say, I am God, you are God, we are God, then I am understanding the wholeness of each and every one of you. I'm understanding the wholeness of everyone whom I encounter. And I'm not reducing anyone to their parts. For me to live within that faith, remembering who I am, remembering who you are, to live within that faith becomes the great equalizer. Because how can I possibly think any less of you 
if I know who you are without thinking less of myself. If I understand you to be less than, then I have to accept that I am less than. And so if I choose to live my life, and I do choose to live my life by understanding the innate wholeness of all that is, recognizing it within you, I must recognize it and accept it and affirm it within myself. So what is our, what is our responsibility? I invite us all to consider that question. What is my responsibility if I look around and I see other human beings being reduced to the level of the relative. Step into spiritual understanding, understanding them as the light, the life, and the love that is God. And actively support them as best we can. Treat and move our feet. Treat and move our feet. The treatment part is going into that place of understanding, that deep-seated place of understanding, the belief system that says, yes, I trust, I know who you are, and allowing that to motivate me into activity and action in life. Treatment. Now, treatment is also a word that people sometimes forget is part of the unity movement as well. It's not just part of the Centers for Spiritual Living. Treatment has been defined by Charles Fillmore in this manner. Treatment is a prayer of faith and understanding for healing, harmony, wisdom, prosperity, or any other good desired. Its object is to raise the consciousness of the one being treated to a high spiritual consciousness through which healing is accomplished. The good news is this. Here's the good news around that definition. In the reception of the high spiritual consciousness, the healing the experience of healing is assured. So today, I invite us to leave with this. What are each and every one of us actively doing to address the breakdown happening around us? Another way of phrasing that, how are we participating in the evolution of ourselves, actively. The Dalai Lama reminds us of this. Prayer will not... No, I, I wrote it down wrong in my quotes. <laughs> I made a mistake. <laughs> but I am not, I am, I am not living in the construct of this mistake. Actually, I do know what the, I do know what it, I do know, but I do know what the quote is. We will not change by prayer alone. We need to take action. We need to take action. Let that action be driven by your prayerful consciousness. Endeavor this week to activate your divine essence in support of others. That's the message. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. On July 2nd, I invited us all to do this in the homework, to support and empower the least among us. That was the homework. And if you're new to our community, I give homework every week as part of the way that I invite us all into putting this philosophy into practice in our lives. Today, the call is a similar call. 
to support and empower the least among us. But I want us each to start with treatment, with affirmative prayer. I want us all to work on the development of our personal prayer practice to raise our consciousness that much more this week. And in doing so, let yourself be guided as the answer to the prayer in action. Let yourself be guided as the answer to the prayer in action. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.